0: So let's begin by cultivating my motivation and really feeling very happy at this opportunity to listen to the Dharma and knowing that our life is impermanent that when we end everything as we know it now just disappears our whole sense of self is altered because our sense of self is so conditioned by the external environment and the situation that we're embedded in but conditioned by our previous karma we will take another rebirth and so reflecting on the actions of this life consider do we have a good chance or not of having a good rebirth and among all the good rebirths do we have a good chance or not of having a precious human life with proximity to the Dharma when we really check that a feeling of urgency may come in our mind that it's really important to practice and to practice now and to practice well in order to transform our minds and progress on the path But let's make our ultimate aim of all of this not just to have a good rebirth or freedom from cyclic existence but let's make our ultimate aim full enlightenment so we can really be effective in benefiting all living beings and repaying the incredible kindness that they've shown us in all of our lifetimes since beginning this time Generate that motivation
1: I'd um,
0: just start today uh, with a question that didn't really pertain to last week's teachings but it's an interesting question and I'm very sorry if I don't have time to write long emails with responses to people's individual questions so I prefer to present them to the group like this because probably they're the questions that many people have so we talked about it a little bit this afternoon, a that in the EML program. So somebody is um, saying that there's two strands, two broad strands in psychotherapy: one in which the client is encouraged to talk about past events in order to heal the past and the present pain, and the other which focuses on the present, with the view that we can that the change we do is in the present, and so without reading the the long question here the basic question is you know in in the past things happen to us and an event happens and then we think about the event and we formulate it as a bad event you know somebody I care for died or I flunked my finals or somebody walked you know abandoned me or rejected me or whatever it is and then we tell ourselves a story about it we generate a lot of emotions about it and it gets stuck you know in our mind and so the the question comes in like we may respond with anger or you know resentment or sadness or attachment or whatever to to some preceding event so the question is does that emotion get lodged somewhere inside of us so that later on in the person's life they may recall that bad event and feel that emotion again Um, or is the sadness something that uh, let's say later on in your life a similar situation happens and so it's a new kind of sadness that gets generated in you in response to a similar kind of event So there's kind of a a couple of questions involved in this. One is, if we had the event in the past and then we remember the event in the present, is it the same sadness? And the second question is, if there's an event in the past and then we have a similar but different situation in the present, is it the same or
1: different sadness?
0: Okay, so, and I'm not a therapist. Okay, so I'm not speaking from the viewpoint of a therapist. I'm just trying to speak as a Buddhist and just maybe a little bit from my own experience with working with my mind. If something happened before, you know, some event, and I had some emotion, and then I think about that same event now, and then I have that same emotion again, I don't think it's the exact same emotion as there was in the past because the past is over and gone with and nothing repeats itself, okay? So whatever happens in the present is necessarily a new emotion, even though it may be related to the previous emotion. And even in thinking about the previous thing, I could look at the situation and remember feeling sad or angry. Or I could remember to look at the situation and generate new sadness and anger. Because remembering that I felt sad and angry, sad or angry, isn't the same as feeling sad or angry now. Okay, So there's that one. I can remember how I felt in the past even though I don't feel that way now. And then by remembering the situation, or I could remember the situation that, oh, I lost this person, or we lost the relationship, and you know, those feelings come up. Still, you know, there might be similar feelings, but it's a new moment of mind, isn't it? And also, although it seems like a similar feeling, we're recreating it again by the way we think, because we're thinking the same thing. So we're recreating the emotion because if you look at it this it couldn't possibly be the same emotion because the situation is not happening to us right now and you see this so clearly when you're meditating and you recall something that happened in the past and then you're getting all huffed and puffed about it in your meditation and then the bell rings and you wake up and hey there's nothing all around here you know so it's very clear that it couldn't be the past situation And it couldn't be the same past emotion. And it's very clear also that our mind is creating the emotion by the way we are remembering the situation and the way we are continuing to describe the past situation to ourselves in the present. And our memory isn't always so good. You may have noticed that how the other person remembers the situation and how we remember the situation is vastly different Huh? so there might be some embellishment a little bit of one-sidedness some fabrication going on there in the way we remember the situation and so we're creating the emotion for ourselves okay. now then the second part of this question was even if it's a new situation okay but there's some similarity to the past one so then you generate similar kind of emotions now, okay? So are those just the same past emotions that are just coming up now again? Or are they new emotions? And again, I think that they're new emotions. They are related to the past emotions in the, in the sense that we are conditioned by what happened to us in the past. But conditioning is just that, it's conditioning. It's not predetermination, it's not lodging an emotion in our body, it's not making it so that we can't possibly feel any other thing in response to a similar situation. It's just a factor of conditioning. Okay? I think the more we think about our emotions as these concrete things you know, I have subconscious anger that's there all the time and erupting into the surface in the present. The more we think about it like that, the more we trap ourselves in that emotion. The more we think that our emotion is embedded in the cells of our body. Excuse me? You know, my emotion is, is, is my consciousness, the soul of my body. It's physical material, and anyway, they're all getting recycled every seven years and even moment to moment they're rising and passing away rising and passing away how, how is something going to get stuck in my body you know as if there's this truly existent emotion in my truly existent permanent body and i think the more we think like that the more our conception confines us okay no it is true you know, we may associate different parts of our body with previous events and previous emotions. Okay, that's true, but that's just conditioning. That's not predetermination. Okay? And it's not like walking the thing in. Yeah? So, uh, you know, if we have some conditioning in a, in a certain direction in the past and a similar situation arises now, what happens is our mind tells ourselves the same story or a similar story that we told ourselves in the past. Our story is our invention. It is, isn't it? Because not everybody tells themselves the same story. Yeah? You ever realize, you know, you've experienced a situation with other people? Not everybody comes out of that situation with the same story. Of course, we think our story is the right and only true real one objectively, but so does the other person. Okay? You, you see what reification means? <laughs> yeah? And so we just lock ourselves in with, you know, okay, this situation that's happening now, it pushed my button, it's the same situation that happened 10, 20, 40, 90 years or lifetimes ago. And I have no choice but to react in the same exact way. You know, that's rubbish. Yeah, that's rubbish. We need to meditate more on impermanence. And not just the gross impermanence, but also the subtle impermanence. That everything moment by moment by moment is arising and passing away, rising and passing away, rising and passing away. So, even when we see something that looks like one concrete thing, it's actually very different moments that our mind is pasting together to make something. Okay? So, the more we have an understanding of this, the more we don't cling to things by, you know, conceiving them as being truly existent. People don't, I should let them go. And then also the whole thing in the Dharma practice is we examine our present situations. We may see some present emotions or attitudes or views that are similar to things that we've had in the past, and it may create—you know—we may remember things that happened in the past, and it—and we can use the same antidotes that we use now to deal with those emotions to apply to the situations in the past. And sometimes I think it can be very effective when we're training ourselves in a particular Dharma antidote to remember a situation that happened in the past that we haven't fully resolved, bring it up in our meditation, and then try seeing that situation through the perspective of the Dharma antidote now, while it's not happening, and reshape how we view the past situation. And that gives us some training in thinking along those lines so when a similar situation happens now you know again we're familiar with that way of thinking okay so for example you know uh i got screamed at a lot as a kid yeah and and so whenever somebody raises their voice i just like go you know in fear and i can't hear and listen and i'm terrified and I'm angry and I shut down and okay let's, let's say that's the situation anybody have
1: that? <laughs> okay
0: so yeah, my, my vision my first Dharma course when I went, went and Lama Zopa was talking about the hell realms and he was talking about hot and cold and this kind of stuff that didn't get me my hell realm was somebody screaming at me all day non-stop you know that was my version of the hell realm Anyway, forget that. Um, okay, so, so I had that kind of situation a little. So here I am. I'm an adult. Somebody's angry, raises their voice, starts screaming and yelling. Is the only possible thing I can do freeze, get terrified, anxious, and afraid, and angry, and stuff it all down? Is that the only possible thing I can react with? No. If I react that way, you know part of it is because i have a habit pattern from the past so there's some conditioning there and there's a habit pattern but a habit pattern is just a label that we've given to a bunch of situations that have some similarity there's no inherently existent habit pattern there okay it's just a bunch of sim- situa- you know, situations that are all different that our mind conceives as having some similarity so don't box yourself in by you know well this is my habit and I can't change it. okay so I go and I'm about to just because I'm running on automatic not being mindful not having checking awareness mm-hmm. clear comprehension samprajana
2: introspective alertness whatever you want to call it
0: not having that one and so I'm just on automatic and so the same emotion comes up okay or I can be aware of what's going on and stop it and say, oh, this is a different situation Okay. now if I still have some leftover stuff from what happened before when I'm sitting quietly in my meditation I can bring it up and okay, somebody's yelling and screaming at me and how am I conceptualizing it? I'm conceptualizing it as I'm bad, I'm worthless you know I bungled everything and that's why they're doing this and that. You know? So, completely seeing it as I'm something terrible. And then I asked myself is that the reality? Maybe as a young kid I did something wrong. You know, I, you know what I did one day? I pulled up the, the expensive plants my parents had just planted because I thought they were weeds.
1: You know?
0: Okay. So I get, you know, I I made some mistakes. There's no bad intention. No use in saying I'm awful and terrible. Or even I really did do something naughty, and I have plenty of those, but I've conveniently forgotten them. Um, I only remember the times when I got yelled at unjustly. All the times when it was just, when I actually was, you know, a naughty brat and and obstinate. I've forgotten all those, but okay. There probably were some somewhere, one or two. and, you know, okay, I did do something awful as a kid. Well, why, that doesn't, you know, and my parents, they're human beings and they, they yell and scream. And I don't need to go into this whole thing of, you know, I'm an awful person and worthless and I can make everything go wrong and I have to be terrified every time anybody raises their voice. I don't have to go into that. That's not the reality of the situation. Anyway, why are, they, why are they yelling at me? I created the karma. I created the karma.
2: Then I go, oh, but I was just as sweet as a child. I had never yelled at anybody
0: before. I only cried in the middle of the night for the first two years with my parents away. But, you know, but what about previous lives? Yeah? If previous lives are anything like this life, we probably said a few unkind things to people. Yeah, we sure had this life. Previous lives probably did the same thing. So they treated people unkindly and yelled and screamed at them in the past. Or even I didn't yell and scream. I just shut the door and wouldn't talk to them. Which is many of our approaches to anger. Just put the wall down. Um... Why am I so surprised when other people treat me like that? It's purely a product of my own actions. If I hadn't created the karma, that situation had not, would not have happened to me when I was a kid. Okay? So I'm not blaming myself as a child. I'm not blaming the victim. What I'm doing is taking responsibility for my own negative actions in the previous life. Even though I can't remember them, I know that I had done some in the past, plenty of time and beginningless time to make a few awful mistakes or many awful mistakes or hurt a lot of people's feelings or whatever. So plenty of time to do all that. I'm the continuation of that person. So this thing happens to me when I was a kid, result my own karma. Why did I create that negative karma in a previous life? Under the influence of my own self-centeredness. 100% self-centered. True, isn't it? Yeah, when we lose the temper of somebody else, 100% self-centeredness. So I was under the influence of my own self-centeredness in previous life. I did something harmful for somebody. Now I have a choice in this life. I can either continue blaming other people for my problems, I can say, you know, I have self-centeredness and I do negative things by self-centeredness, and that creates a cause for my own suffering. So I have to be very aware now in this lifetime not to do those same kind of things again. Because if I don't let the result I'm experiencing now due to previous actions, then I shouldn't create the same actions now to experience those results in the future learning from our mistakes Mm -hmm. okay so it's nobody else's fault you know that 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 happened when I was a kid it's the result of my own karma I'm going to be really attentive now and not you know, try and really oppose my self-centeredness and not let it run the show in my life and try and create some virtue and do some purification and I'm not going to continue you know just describing that old situation to myself in the same way and so that I have the same emotions again and again. I'm going to describe it in a different way. And I might even say, oh, somebody's yelling and screaming at me right now. That's good. That's the result of, um, it's the ripening of my own negative karma and now that karma is over and done with. I'm so happy this person is yelling and screaming at me. Yeah? Why not think like that? It's certainly a lot better than saying, Oh, I'm so awful. I'm irredeemable. Or saying, They're nasty. They're a manifestation of the devil. You know? It, both of those perspectives completely stupid. Isn't huh. it? Yeah? But if I say, you know, I gotta do something with my own self centeredness, then that that's kinda of smart. And if I say, Good, right now that person's criticizing me, um purifying that karma, it's ripening. That karma could have ripened in a hell realm rebirth, you know, for a few eons. I could have been born as a kitty cat sleeping during the teachings. You know? <laughs> with his head on the Dharma book.
1: <laughs> Different
0: ways of absorbing the Dharma.
1: <laughs> um, you know,
0: there's so many different things I could have been born at as a result of that karma. And now it's just ripening and getting, you know, hearing these unpleasant words. I can manage hearing some unpleasant words that are happening to me because of my own self-centeredness. I can manage that. It's certainly a lot better than a, than a horrible rebirth. You know, hearing some unpleasant words is not going to destroy me. Like I said, negative karma ripening, great. Okay. Actually, um, I should insert right now that it's going to look like a different topic, but it's the same topic. That we're doing the essence of refined gold teachings. And we're going to finish the next week. Okay, we're going to finish the text tonight and next week. And then on September 4th, we're going to start a new text, which is Thought Training Like Rays of the Sun. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thought training text. And there's a whole section in it that deals with transforming adversity into the path. And so that whole uh, way of thinking that I just described to you now, of seeing it as my karma and therefore not getting upset and of seeing it as the result of my self-centeredness and therefore determining to oppose my own self-centeredness. Those are techniques that we learn in the thought training text. Okay, so we're going to start that teaching uh, on September 4th and then we're going to go every Thursday night with the exception of two or three nights when we'll have that on the web and keep going with that.
1: Um, that next next. What?
0: Next Thursday is the fourth. Next Thursday is the fourth. Ooh, then we're going to finish this text tonight.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, we're going quickly, folks. Ah, I missed a whole week. Okay, so we're on the Four Ways of Benefiting Trainees. So this is on page 20 of the text. And so these four ways are actually part of the uh, practice of the Paramitas because uh, as we practice the Dharma, then at a certain point, we'll want to be able to benefit others. And these are four ways to, uh, to benefit them and to gather them around us in order to teach them. Okay, so um, the third Dalai Lama says, with the motivation to attain enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings, One, make offerings in order to assemble an entourage of trainees So if we're a generous person, people tend to like us Then they'll come and it's easy to teach them Two, to please them, show them a smiling face and and speak to them gently So same thing, if we're friendly, if we encourage them, if we're a nice person Then they'll want to hang around us, there's the opportunity to teach them the Dharma Three, then we actually teach them the Dharma the six far uh, reaching attitudes and so forth, and teach them how to practice it. Okay, so that's the best way of, you know, benefiting them. And four, we live and practice in accordance with the teachings that we give. In other words, you've got to walk your talk and not be a hypocrite. And if we do that, then people learn through our example. And so just by being around us, they can watch how we handle situations and they can learn from us. And then it also means that we're acting consistently, because if we don't act consistently, then nobody's going to believe what we're saying. Okay? So, in every possible way, develop these four profound methods of benefiting others. Okay? Then, combining serenity and special insight. So, the third Dalai Lama says, moreover, because self grasping is the root of samsara, A single-pointed concentration, which does not contradict that grasping, does not have the ability to sever the root of samsara. Okay, so concentration alone won't sever the grasping. That's the root of samsara. Alternatively, a wisdom cognizing non-true existence, but lacking the serenity that dwells unwaveringly and single-pointedly on objects of meditation will never eliminate the afflictions, no matter how much it searches. So having wisdom alone also won't eliminate the afflictions. In order to attain liberation forever free from afflictions, mount the horse's of serenity meditation that does not waver when placed on the view that realizes emptiness, the ultimate and unmistaken nature of existence. So we need to attain liberation, we need serenity, you know, shamatha that is then placed on emptiness that we have, and the emptiness we've ascertained uh, through uh, analytic meditation. So it's the correct view, and we're able to stabilize on our mind, that, mind with that serenity. Okay, riding this horse and brandishing the sharp weapon of the four great methods of Mahayana reasoning, free from the extremes of absolutism and nihilism. Generate the wisdom that understands the actual mode of existence, the force that destroys all grasping at extremes. So by combining and unifying serenity and special insight, then use it to destroy the ignorance that grasps at true existence. Now in here, it it, um, mentioned the four great methods of uh, Madhyamaka reasoning. I've seen four. Methods I've never heard them put together as like this is a class of the four, but I've seen four so Maybe it's this the, the first one is that one uh, that we did a few weeks ago Nagarjuna's uh, tetralemma that that uh, things are not produced from self others both are right? The second one is dependent arising just the king of reasonings. The third one is um Is called the four extremes, and that is, does an action produce a cause which is uh, doesn't no does an action do causes produce effects that are existent, non-existent, both, and neither. Okay, that's called the four extremes, and there, of course, it means, you know. Existent means inherently existent. And then the fourth one is called the four alternatives. And this is, uh, is one effect produced inherently by one cause? Is one effect produced inherently by many causes? Are many effects produced inherently by one cause? Are many effects produced inherently by many causes? Okay. So again, giving yourself four alternatives, investigating them. And if none of those are reasonable, then you know that you can't have any inherent existence in either causes or effects. Okay, so I'm not explaining those right now. I'm just listing them so that you have an idea. Um, There's some explanation in, in Jeffrey's book, Meditation on Emptiness. Going, let's go back to the third Dalai Lama. J. Rinpoche said, But the power to cut the root of samsara lies not in single point of concentration alone. Wisdom divorced from the path of serenity does not reverse afflictions, although it may try. Okay, so neither serenity nor uh, wisdom is sufficient on its own. Wisdom searching for ultimate truth rides the horse of unwavering samadhi. She put the two together and with a sharp weapon of madhyamaka reasoning destroys grasping at extremes. Extremes being absolutism and nihilism. With vast wisdom that searches thus expand the mind understanding suchness.
1: Okay.
0: And the third Dalai Lama continues, as stated, merely accomplishing the concentration that abides calmly when placed unwaveringly upon its object is not sufficient. A mind that rests in one-pointed concentration and analyzes with wisdom that distinguishes the various levels of reality, i.e. discerns the mode of suchness, gives birth to a concentration resting firmly and unwaveringly in the meaning of emptiness. The way things are okay so that's basically saying the same thing in similar language Yeah, that you need to combine serenity and wisdom and in particular you need to be able to use analytic wisdom that itself will uh, bring forth the pliancy that leads to serenity Usually, usually you do use stabilizing wisdom to bring forth pliancy that leads to serenity. To combine serenity and special insight, you need to be able to use the analytic wisdom to make it, uh, to, to establish the pliancy that leads to serenity. Okay. Seeing this, appreciate how wonderful is the effort made to accomplish concentration combined with this wisdom. Make a sublime wish towards this end and then plant it forever. Mm -hmm. So in other words, whether you understand all this or not, make a deep aspiration to have a lot of effort to understand it, to hear teachings on it, to understand them correctly, to practice them, and to gain this realization, and plant that seed in your mind stream forever. Because it's very powerful by making these kinds of aspirations. Yeah. I mean, why, why do we have so many of the opportunities we have this lifetime to practice? Because in previous lifetimes we practiced and we also made strong aspirations in previous lifetimes to understand things that we couldn't understand then and to hear teachings on them again in this lifetime and further our understanding. Okay, Jay Ribbache said, One point of meditation brings a samadhi fantastic beyond description. Yet do not stop there. So don't get stuck in Samadhi. For that, combined it with distinguishing awareness, able to discern the mode of being, gives birth to a Samadhi that rests firmly and unwaveringly upon the ultimate. Understanding that, see as wondrous efforts made in Samadhi, joined to wisdom. Okay, so that's summarizing. Then, during meditation sessions, Place the mind evenly in concentration and special insight and focus single-pointedly upon emptiness, which is as free of extremes as the sky is of tangible hindrances. So that's the space-like meditation I talked about a few weeks ago. Between sessions, watch how things, while not inherently existent, manifest like a magician's creations. That's the illusion-like meditation I talked about a few weeks ago in this way take up the practices of method and wisdom combined true meditation upon emptiness held by great compassion and bodhicitta so don't just do method practice don't just do wisdom practice but combine your bodhicitta and your wisdom and you know so that your meditation is upheld by great compassion and bodhicitta, but you're focused with wisdom on emptiness. And go to the other side of a bodhisattva's practice. In other words, the other side is full enlightenment. Understanding this path worthy of praise, do not be satisfied by training in only method or wisdom, but which combine the two in a balanced way. Don't just do method practice renunciation of bodhicitta, accumulation of merit. Don't just do wisdom practice, hearing teachings on wisdom, accumulating wisdom. But do both. Okay? And make it so that one is informed by the other. Okay? Uh, Such training is a spiritual legacy of people of good fortune. Apply yourself to it. J. Rinpoche said, meditate single-pointedly upon space-like emptiness after meditation see life as a magician's creation through familiarity with these practices method and wisdom are perfectly united and you go to the end of the Bodhisattva's ways understanding this be not satisfied by a path exaggerating either method or wisdom but stay on the road of the fortunate. it's beautiful isn't it So a lot of these things I explained in previous teachings. The reason I'm doing it now is to finish giving you the oral transmission of the text. Now it's on the section on Vajrayana, which is the esoteric part of Mahayana. So Vajrayana is not divorced from Mahayana. It's a branch of Mahayana. It's very important to understand many people now say, Oh, you know, Tibetans practice Vajrayana and Mahayana is, you know, some other thing. That's what the Chinese and the Zen practitioners do. Uh-uh. You know, Tibetans are doing the practice of the fundamental vehicle, the practice of the Mahayana, and within the Mahayana, one branches is the Vatrayana. Okay. These are the practices common to the Sutra and Tantra vehicles. That means the above practices that were described are common to the Sutra and Tantra vehicles. Once you have gained solid experiences of them, cast aside all doubts and enter into the way of secret mantra, Adriana the gateway to the secret path okay secret we pay, we get all sorts of funny meanings of secret like it's secret so I'm not gonna tell you or it's secret because it's really bad or it's secret because you know what it means what secret means here is that you practice it in a very humble, unostentatious ost- way. That's what secret means. It means that you don't go around, and, oh,
2: I'm a Vajrayana practitioner and I've had this,
0: this initiation and see my Tonkas and see my Bell and Dorje and I do all these incredible mysterious practices that I'm keeping secret from you. You know, that's not what secret means okay it means you practice it in a humble private manner okay cast aside all doubts and enter into the way of secret mantra vajrayana the gateway to the secret path is an appropriate initiation gained from a fully qualified tantric master in order to ripen your mind stream. so this is important if you want to enter into the Vajrayana, you need an appropriate initiation. In other words, an initiation into the deity whose practice that you're doing, and you have to have receive it from a fully qualified tantric master, not just Joe Blow, who's you know reading from a text or who has no experience or you know is inventing their own thing or is out there to make a lot of money giving initiation, but to really uh, you know screen your Tantric Master well and then know what the practice is that you that you know you're taking the initiation into know what the commitments are ask what the commitments are ask what class Tantra it is ask what vows you're taking ask what commitments there are taking both initiations it's not something you know that you do as a tourist or, or you do as a collector you know, oh, I've been to... You know, some people collect initiations, like they collect postage stamps, or coins. That's not the way to do it. This is a very profound practice. You know, you don't just collect it. Oh, somebody's coming into town. Let's go get it. And, enough, and also, you don't do it as a tourist. Like, you know, oh, I want those initiations, you know, because I want the blessing, but I don't want to do the practice. You know, you're giving me a commitment to do a daily practice. I don't want to do that. That's like a tax I have to pay to take the initiation. I just want the blessing. You know, I'm going to hit me on the head with some, you know, a vase full of water, and let me throw a little flower and a thing, and give me some holy water to drink, and maybe a blindfold and. Say it all in Tibetan because the more I don't understand or the less I understand the holier it is you know and I just want the blessings so I can sit there and you know buzz out wrong motivation folks yeah in fact I don't think those people actually even take the initiations because they're not aware of what's going on when it's happening anyway I'm really saying this because I've seen so many situations where people just rush into it and they have no idea of what they're getting themselves into. They don't understand the profundity of the practice. So it's really lost on them, you know. Whereas if you really take the time and set up a proper foundation and then understand a little bit about Tantra and what what it's about and why you take it and so on and so forth, then, you know, and you've checked out the teacher, and you have faith and confidence in them. then it makes some sense to do it. And then, and you take the initiation because you want to do the practice. yeah. And then you do the practice and it really has some nice effect on your mind. Okay? At the time of initiation, one pledges to do certain practices and to avoid certain modes of conduct that contradict tantric attainment honor these pledges okay. if you gain initiation into any of the three lower classes of tantra kriya, charya, or yoga practice their systems of yoga with signs and then yoga without signs okay. those are different branches of the, those if you are initiated into the highest class tantra actually they're, they're branches of the practice you meditate on the deity with signs when you're cultivating uh, samadhi on yourself as the deity and developing clear appearance and divine dignity. And then the yoga without is when you're meditating on the ultimate nature of the deity and uh, deepening your understanding of emptiness. Okay. If you are initiated into the highest class tantra, manua, Maha Anuttara Tantra, first master the generation stage practices and then those at the completion stages. So those are two stages. Generation stage is when you generate yourself as the deity and completion stage is when you learn the techniques of dealing with the uh, channels, winds, and drops to uh, access the extremely subtle state of mind and wind and use that to
1: realize emptiness.
0: Jay Rinpoche said, Having generated experience in these practices common and fundamental to the two Mahayana vehicles, Sutriyana's causal vehicle and Vajrayana's resultant vehicle. Okay, so the Bodhisattva vehicle by by Sutriyana and the Bodhisattva vehicle, the Tantrayana. Rely upon a wise guide, a Tantric adept, and enter into the ocean of Tantras. Then, basing yourself upon the complete oral teachings, give meaning to the human birth you have gained. I, a yogi, practice like that. You, O liberation seeker, should do likewise. Okay. Now the third Dalai Lama writes a, a summary of the path. And this is a, it's a summary and then it's kind of a dedication too. This is how to approach the complete body of the path that condenses all the principal points of the sutras and tantras and how to make meaningful the opportunities afforded by your human rebirth. By practicing in this gradual way, use the, previous, use the precious Buddha Dharma most effectively for your own and others' benefit. J. Rinpoche took the experience of these practices into his heart and he advises that those who follow him do likewise. This next part I think is very beautiful. Keeping this in mind, Visualize that Jay Rinpoche is sitting before you, exhorting you with a calm, powerful, penetrating voice to practice as described here and to accomplish his words by means of actually using his teachings to tame your mind stream. So, you know, when when you read any of these prayers, like, you know, if we're doing um, the foundation of all good qualities or the three principal aspects of the path or the uh, gradual, the... Um, Lamrim prayer and the Guru Puja any of these things you know whenever you're reading them imagine Jay Rinpoche sitting in front of you saying that to you yeah are you going to space out then? yeah are you going to fall asleep then? no if J. Rinpoche were, you know if you were sitting right in front of Jay Rinpoche you know who's speaking in a calm powerful penetrating voice with piercing eyes you're not going to space out are you? you're going to hang on every word and really listen to it and take it in your heart okay so um, you know imagine that when you're reading these prayers okay then Jay Rinpoche then concludes his song of the stages on the spiritual path that's what these uh, small verses have been taken out of as follows in order to Further, to acquaint my mind with the paths and also to benefit others of good fortune, I have therein explained in simple terms all stages of the practices pleasing to the Buddhas and have made the prayer that any positive potential thus created may cause all beings never to be separated from the sublime ways always pure. I, a yogi, have made this prayer you, a liberation seeker, should do likewise. Us. Bearing, this, bearing in mind these teachings of J. Rinpoche, conclude each of your meditations with the following dedications. From now onwards in this and future lives, I will make devotion to your... or I will pay, I will make a, um, pay homage at your lotus feet and apply myself to your teachings. Bestow upon me your transforming powers that I may practice only as pleases you with all actions of my body, speech, and mind. By the power of Mahirisangkapa, as well as of the lamas from whom I have received the teachings, may I never be parted even from a moment from the sublime path pleasing to the bodhis. And then Gela uh, the their Dalai Lama, concludes his commentary with a verse that he does. By any merits of my having written this text, condensing without error the principal points of the stages on the path leading to enlightenment, the essence of the teachings of Dipamkara, Atisha, and Lama Tsongkhapa, may all beings progress in the practices pleasing to the past, present, and future Buddhists. That's the completion. Then there's a colophon. This concludes the essence of refined gold and exposition of the stages as practice of the three levels of spiritual application. Based on J. Rinpoche's Song of the Stages on the Spiritual Path, and arranged in a format easy to follow, it is the tradition of clarified doctrine and therefore is worthy of admiration and interest. It was written at the repeated request of Docho Dojje, from the eminent mode of omniscient Sherab Palsen, by the Buddhist monk and teacher Gelasonam Gatsa at the great site of Dharma activity, the Mighty Trifung Monastery, in the room called Swirling Sunbeams in the Palace of Lhanchor, Gelasonam Gatsa, even uh, while only a baby received signs of being in communication with J. Rinpoche. And therefore fully qualified to write this commentary to J. Rinpoche's song of the spiritual state, of the stages of the spiritual path. May it cause the quintessence of good explanation to spread in the ten directions. And then for auspiciousness, we always start something over again at the beginning, so that as if we're starting it again, and then we stop, so that we leave something undone. So that we can create it's said to be auspicious so we can uh, hear the teaching the whole teaching again okay so the essence of the refined goal of the third Dalai Lama to the feet of the venerable Lama embodiment of the three jewels I profound, profoundly I turn for refuge bestow upon me your transforming powers here for spiritually inclined beings who wish to take advantage of the opportunities afforded by human life is the treatise on the Lamrim tradition of meditation, a song known as Stages on the Spiritual Path Leading to Enlightenment. What is the Lamrim tradition? It is the essence of all teachings of the Buddha, the one path traveled by the high beings of the past, present, and future, the legacy of the masters, Nagarjuna and Asanga, the, the religion of supreme people traveling to the earth of omniscience. The unabridged synthesis of all practices included within the three levels of spiritual application. This is the Lombard tradition. You finished it this week? After how many years? I don't know. A year and a half, almost two years, okay. So, any questions? After everything that I went through this evening, there's no question. The Vajrayana section we went through rather quickly. Vajrayana is really quite a precious and profound tradition, and if we have the um, opportunity to do that practice, it's very worthwhile. Um, His Holiness, you know, really emphasizes, he'd like people to. to be Buddhist for at least and to, in other words, have taken refuge uh, and kept the refuge at least five years before taking the highest class Tantra initiation. You know, he doesn't ask that for the lower classes of Tantra, but for the higher class of Tantra. And um, and then, like I said, to know the commitments and, and really have a determination to keep them and, and continue doing them. Uh, even though, you know like to to actually be a qualified tantric uh, initiate you know we should have realizations of the three principal aspects of the path but as holiness says if you wait until you have the initiations you may never you know plant the seeds of the vajrayana in your mind so as long as you have somewhat of a, a strong foundation and a firm foundation an appreciation and respect for the Vajrayana tradition, then it's okay to take the initiation. But even if we've taken them, we should still practice at the level of the path that we're up on. In other words, um, you know, keep the tantric commitments, but we don't need to spend our whole day meditating just doing the tantric sadhanas. But if we're, you know, if we haven't realized emptiness yet, if we don't have samadhi yet, if we don't even have renunciation, if we're still attached to the a-worldly concerns uh-huh, um, then we need to put more attention on the lower levels of the path to establish a good foundation and to do our tantric practice as a way of planting seeds of course you can still do tantric retreat and within that include all the stages of the path you know, what Lama Yeshi used to have us do is, you know, at the, if you were doing a tantric sadhana you know, you start with refuge and bodhicitta well, there's two big sections of Lama right there yeah, and to generate bodhicitta you actually have to do all the meditations on renunciation first okay, and so you, you do that then there's, um, usually in a tantric sadhana then you have a seven man prayer something similar to that so that's the cumula- accumulation of merit and, and uh, purification of negativities. Sometimes within them, you have a vajrasattva practice to help you purify also. Then you often uh, take, you take your Bodhisattva vows, you know, so that's good. gets you back into you know, more familiarization with the Bodhisattva practice. There's a meditation on emptiness before you generate yourself as the deity. After you generate yourself as the deity, you meditate on illusion-like uh, emptiness.
1: <clears throat>
0: and, then, uh, and then when you're doing the mantra, very often you're radiating light out to all sentient beings. And so you're thinking of the four ways of benefiting them. And you're imagining the six uh, far-reaching practices and engaging in them by, you know, by manifesting many, many bodies to help sentient beings by doing those practices and imagining the sentient beings becoming enlightened. And so that helps you heal a lot of anger and resentment. It helps you overcome your view that, you know, everybody's just inherently selfish and corrupt and it's useless you know, because you're visualizing yourself as a deity and practicing enlightening other sentient beings in your visualization so there's a way to bring all the elements of the Lam Rim into a tantric practice okay, and there's a way also of doing your tantric practice you know, more or less quickly and then before you dedicate having a period of Lam Rim meditation and that can also be very, very effective okay, L- Lama Yeshe had us do that quite a bit, you know So there's lots of ways of integrating these things. But the basic thing is really work to establish a strong foundation in the three principal aspects of the path and really apply the Dharma uh, to your life. Don't make the Dharma just some intellectual fairyland something, you know, or make Tantra fairyland, you know, oh, yeah, I'm just radiating out. You know, things to all these people, but then in the meantime, you're still getting angry and, you know, attached and
1: everything like
0: that.
2: Okay. Now, do you have any questions? Yeah. (laughs) I, when I was quite young, had a lot of initiations, many of which I haven't thought about for 20 or 25 years. Uh
1: huh.
2: And I'm wondering about, like, some of them I didn't even know what commitments were and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So there's a way of like, I think I have more than one lifetime of going back to do all the work if I actually fulfilled mm-hmm. all of those commitments. So how do I... Okay.
0: So you're saying that 20, 25 years ago you took a lot of initiations but you didn't really understand what you were doing and you don't even know if you had any commitments from them or not or what to do um so now i mean you're somebody who who has faith and appreciation in the dharma you could contact that teacher and ask them you know the teacher's no longer alive okay Okay. um (laughs) well do you remember do you remember the names of the deities some of the lights have but also are, I house burned down so about five years of, I don't have okay. records okay so some of the names you remember other ones were vanished when your house burned down the notes you had well at least the ones you remember you could check with somebody who may know you know what and, and if you remember any of the initiations and somebody could you know kind of give you the standard things that are usually the commitments for those practices but it probably involved the, taking the Bodhisattva vows at least so that's good and you keep the Bodhisattva vows it's very very worthwhile and very wonderful yeah
2: um,
1: when did you enter a secret mantra and how did you know you were ready
0: for it oh when did I didn't how did I know I was ready for it well I actually had very little understanding of what I was doing after my first meditation course which was three weeks long um lama offered a uh, a very simple Chenrezig uh jainang, a commission so it was the lowest class tantra and he just had us do aspiring bodhicitta and the commitment was to say uh, a mala of amani penihongs every day yeah and so i've done that I, I took that, you know, and I've, I've kept that daily since then. I didn't understand much of, of what I was doing at that time, um, but it was a lower-class tantra thing, and, that, and I did keep the, you know, the, the commitment. Um, in terms of, of the highest-class tantra, I took that because under Lama's recommendation. Tenzin uh, Sarkar Rinpoche was coming to Kapan, And Lama recommended that everybody do that. I took it under very interesting uh, circumstances in the sense that we had the commitment to do the Succession Guru Yoga and to do at least the short sadhana. And the short sadhana was not translated into English. Yeah? So I was just... or, or maybe it was, but we didn't have a copy of the English at that time. It took a few weeks to get a copy of the English. So I was just learning Tibetan. And so I was kind of just saying it, sounding out the words in Tibetan, not really understanding what I was doing, saying the, the number of mantra when I came to the spot of the mantra in the text. And then after a few weeks, I think we got the English translation. Still, I didn't understand anything of what I was supposed to be doing because you really need teachings on this, and I didn't receive teachings for another probably three years. You know, it was probably three years between the, the time of the initiation and the time I received teachings on the on the practice. Once I received teachings, when I really began to understand what how I was supposed to think and meditate. But during that whole time, I, I did the Sadhana and the mantras. So, it was better doing it in English. <laughs> I understood a little bit more. Yeah, and the succession through yoga and everything. Yeah?
1: just wondering, is
0: to the, is? The, the, the term yidam, Is it to the The term yidam. Okay, yidam, it actually means mind seal what it, it's referring to is, is one of the, the deities and it's, uh, you know, there's many, many different deities When and you do deity yoga which is, yoga means to like unify so you're trying to unify your mind with the deity's mind. Okay, so your mind with the yidam's mind. Okay, and you take the initiation as a way of the teacher who is generating themselves in the form of that yidam, in the form of that deity, uh you take the initiation from them because they are like introducing you to the deity. You know, and planting the seeds in your mindstream of that practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so there's so many kinds of deities actually. Then how do we know which one we do, we practice? Usually people have one main deity and you can do that. What I did is I went to one of my teachers and I asked which one should, should I practice primarily, you know, and then he told me. You can still take initiations from, from other ones. What Lama recommended if you have many initiations, it doesn't mean, and you have the commitment to do many sadhanas. Sometimes they only give mantra commitments, which are real quick, but sometimes there's a sadhana commitment. What he said to do is do the, the sadhana, the text of the practice of your principal yidam, your principal deity, more thoroughly, and do the other ones very, very quickly, so that you keep keep up that energy, you keep the commitment, you keep up the energy of that particular manifestation of the Buddha, but you put more energy into the one that's going to be your principal plan. And that's actually, you know, for us people who don't have a lot of time, very busy people, then it's best to be very careful and not to take too many things that have commitments. Because otherwise you spend all day reading your commitments and that intrudes into your time to study and your time to, to do the lumber meditation.
1: Okay? May the
2: spiritual, spiritual teachers who lead me on the sacred path, path and all spiritual friends who practice their path and- I pacify completely all other and inner hindrances Grant such inspiration I pray. May the lives of the venerable spiritual masters be stable. Suffering. May the precious body mind not yet born arise and grow. May the born have no decline, well, increase forevermore. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma, done by groups supporting the teachings and their accord. rising and non-violent actions in the ten directions and especially at Robustia in the west Okay, thank
1: you very much.